Well, good morning. Hey, welcome to Bridgewater. We're so glad you're here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt, and I serve as one of the pastors at Bridgewater. Uh, I've been in the Hall State campus for the last five years, serving as a campus pastor there. And uh, Pastor Bob and Pastor Josh are both on vacation this week, and so you're stuck with me. I apologize for that. Um, but we are, we're so excited for them to get away. If I could just be encouraging you just to be praying for them, uh, that God would refresh them and fill them up. Uh, being a pastor through COVID uh, and through the transitions we've been through at Bridgewater has not been the easiest task ever. So continue to pray for them. You guys have some awesome, awesome pastors here, and we so appreciate them. Just want to, yeah, come on, give, give them some love. And then when they get back, you can ask them if they watched online and heard you clap for them. Just, just say, hey, if you are online, we want to welcome you. Thanks for joining us here today. Uh, happy Father's Day to all of our, our dads out there. Uh, being a dad is one of the greatest joys uh, I have in my life. There's nothing that shakes off a bad day like coming home and, and hearing my little kid run around the corner and yell, dad, dad, as he runs around the corner to give me a hug. And by that description, you can tell I don't have teenagers, uh, actually. So here, here is a picture of my family, for those of you who don't know. My wife, you probably see her on the feed. Uh, and then these are our two boys, Jocko and Callum. Uh, and then actually the ones you really care about in that photo are these two. A uh, couple, couple crazy little kids, uh, which tells you if what we're going to talk about today is parenting. Uh, I'm a rookie. I understand I'm a rookie. Uh, I'm well aware that there are many of you who are probably more equipped to stand on the stage and talk about parenting. And so uh, today what I want to do is just kind of lean into the Word of God, uh, not on my experience, because I've come to realize that the only perfect parents in the room are those who haven't had kids yet, right? Like... <laughs> Like, listen, I'm just going to throw myself under the bus. My wife and I would leave gatherings, and we'd sit in the car like, when we have kids, we will never. And then you have kids, and you're like, we're those parents, right? Like, I saw this meme, actually. I, th I thought it was pretty hilarious. Uh, person, I don't have kids yet, but when I do, they will never act like that. My kids will know how to behave in public. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Talk to me in a couple of years as my kid destroys the resource center this morning. Uh, Hey, anyway, we, we really are excited about um, parenting and kids, and uh, I, I can just um, admit to you this morning that as excited as I was to be a dad, I was also incredibly overwhelmed and anxious to be a dad, because not only am I responsible to keep uh, these little ones alive, but I, I have to take care of their hearts, and I have to take care of their souls, and there's just a lot of weight on that. And so if you're a parent in here, let's just relieve the pressure for all the other parents. If you ever felt overwhelmed or in over your head parenting, go ahead and throw your hand up right now. If you're online, go ahead and throw in the chat. All right. Pretty much unanimously, uh, we're just all going to give ourselves a pass and praise Jesus for his grace on our life this morning uh, as we get into this conversation. But I want to take a minute and just talk about Father's Day. Uh, Father's Day, for some of us, may be just a day to celebrate, but for some of us, it might be difficult. Maybe you have an estranged relationship with your dad, or uh, maybe your dad isn't with you anymore, and so these days bring up those memories. I just want to echo uh, what Jess said, that we have been praying for you this week. Um, that you would meet God, your Father, in a way this week that, that fills a void, perhaps, that a dad can't uh, fill for you here in this world. And, and that you would have with great expectation a reunion with your Heavenly Father uh, in which that is all made whole. And maybe Father's Day is difficult for you because you're estranged from your kids. Maybe there's some things that happen that have, have separated you. Uh, I want you to know I've been praying deeply for you this week as well, that, that you would find the love and forgiveness of Jesus so true in your life and that it would impact and affect your relationships, that you would never give up on pursuing those, you would never give up on pursuing Jesus, that God can do incredible, incredible things. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that 
uh, later. But as we get started in this conversation, we're in week four of our uh, parent or our relationship goals uh, series. We're looking at parenting this week. And uh, I want to start with a couple questions, really, uh, a really simple one. First, what is your goal for your kids? Now, this conversation is for those of you who do have kids, those of you who, who don't have kids yet and hope to. I want you to think expectation. When you think about your kids, what are the goals you have for them? I guess the first question is, do you have goals for them? And if you do, do they go beyond academics and athletics? Like some of us are, are trying to get scouts to our kids' little league team. Like he's closer to a baby than he is Babe Ruth, right? Like let's slow those goals down. But what are some goals? Do you have spiritual goals for your kids? Are there things that you want to be true of their character, things that you want to be true of their personalities? What are you aiming for for them? The next question is, what are your goals for yourself as a parent? As you consider your, your actions, your reactions, the things that are true in your heart, um, what are your goals? What kind of parent do you want to be? What kind of parent do you want your kids to one day reflect on and say, man, my dad was, or my mom was, or my grandma was, or my uh, foster parent was, whoever is uh, significant in your life? Well, one of my goals has been, I'll share one of mine with you, um, you know the phrase, you're just like your father, right? Like, you, you chuckle because, you know, every time you hear that phrase, it's usually like this dig from mom or somebody else, right? Like, oh, you can't put your clothes in the hamper either. You're just like your father, right? One of my goals has been to turn that diss into a compliment. That when my boys are older and somebody says, man, you're just like your father, my boys would feel honored. That they would be, man, oh, that would be such an honor to be called like my dad. Now, listen. The jury's still out on me. Ask him in 20 years. See how I did on that. Um, but that's been one of, my, one of my aims. The third question really is what we're going to wrestle with this morning, and it's what do our kids need from us as parents? And so this is true for little kids. This is true for high schoolers. And this is true for adults. What do our, our kids, our, our grandkids need to be modeled from us, and how do we go about uh, getting there? One of the things I hear most often as I talk to parents and I ask questions is I realize that many times we parent out of how we were parented, right? And so you'll even hear people say things like, uh, well, you're lucky that I'm, uh, you know, a little kinder on you because my dad wasn't this kind on me. Or you say things like, listen, you think I'm mean. That sweet grandmother of yours giving you candy wasn't always the sweet grandma that she is, okay? Right? <laughs> or there's the fame, you think your life is hard. I walked uphill both ways with one snow boot on and a record blizzard every year. Like, I still don't know how that one's true, but it comes around all the time. See, but here's the thing about our experiences is that they may have been true of our experience, but they may not have been necessarily right. And if we don't take time to pause and examine and say, okay, here's the things I grew up with. Here's the things that I received. Do those line up with biblical scriptures? Otherwise, our experience will drive our patterns unless we reorientate them with God's word. Just because it was a pattern you received does not necessarily mean it was a good pattern to repeat. There's a ton of clinical psychology out there that basically says the relationship you have with your kids is largely impacted by what you've done to deal with your relationship with your parents and you, those who raised you. And so if you uh, don't work through some of those things, they'll begin to follow you. And you see this most often in kind of an opposite knee-jerk reaction. Maybe you grew up in a home that was incredibly strict and a heavy discipline and probably erred on the side of unbiblical 
uh, well, there tends to be this knee-jerk reaction the other way that says, well, there's not going to be any discipline in our house because I'm fearful of those emotions. And so then the kids run around with no rules and it's just total chaos. But then you don't know how to manage that chaos without going from Bruce Banner to the Hulk in five minutes flat. And so it just creates kind of this storm. Well, that's because there's some things inside of us that we have to begin to work through and allow God into that space. And so that's true whether you don't have kids yet. That's true if you have kids. And that's true whether your kids are out of the house, that we would begin to examine our own hearts and see where God would be leading us in that. I hope to do a couple things for us this morning. One, I hope to help us kind of reorientate around God's word. Uh, I hope to help simplify what can feel really complicated. And I hope to leave you encouraged that you are the person that God appointed to raise the children in your life. You are the person that God has picked, and he doesn't need somebody else. He just needs all of you to be given to all of him, and that's what your kids need from you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open with me to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to see what Paul has to say here, but we're going to look at Galatians chapter 6 from a little bit different lens this morning. I want you to look at this whole section in the relationship of a parent to a child. Um, so as you're reading this, I want you to kind of input some of this parent-child relationships. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, we would love to put one in your hands back out at the Welcome Center. If you're listening online, you can use the YouVersion app, or if you have your phones, uh, you can do that. It's so important that you see these words for yourself that we aren't uh, making them up. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourself or you may also be tempted. I'm going to focus on a bunch of different things, different, bunch of different things through this verse, but I want to highlight you who live by the Spirit first. He, Paul is talking about this idea that when you come to faith in Christ, when you acknowledge your need for a Savior, like we saw in those two carnations today, which is incredible that we get to celebrate that as a church over and over again. May that never be lost on you. Uh, But as we uh, come to faith in Jesus, we realize our need for him. The Spirit then comes as a gift from God to indwell us, to empower us, to live the life that Jesus has called us to live. And so Paul's saying, listen, you who have the Spirit of God in you, you who have been uh, transformed by the powerful love of Jesus, there's some expectations on us as we interact and we deal with uh, relational conflict. He says, really, if I were to simplify uh, this point, it's that those of you who love Jesus, which really is our first point for us this morning. Children need parents who love Jesus. Children don't need perfect parents. Even uh, all the psychologists out there will say children don't need perfect parents. What they need are parents who are genuine, parents who uh, are engaged with them, parents who show devotion. And Paul would say we need to be parents who are genuinely pursuing and loving Jesus. You're going to teach your kids so much, and I'm going to teach my kids so much, not just by the words we say, but by the life we live, right? Like, they are watching everything we're doing and either choosing to follow it or reject it. And so Paul is saying, would we be those type of people who are so pursuing Jesus that our kids know the number one marker of our life is that they love Jesus? Maybe you're here and and you're not a believer. You don't understand quite, or maybe you have some questions. Can I tell you what your children need to see from you is that you're asking honest questions, that you're pursuing understanding, that if there's things you don't know, that you wouldn't just ignore them, that you would engage them, that you would find uh, answers to questions that you've been asking for a long time, that you would get in community. And, And you don't have to have it all right, as I said, but there has to be a pursuit if our kids are going to find what they need most, and that is for our kids to find a life-giving relationship 
with Jesus. Let's look back at the verse and see what else Paul says in here. He says, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person. There's a couple words in here that I want to draw your attention to. And the first one here is this word caught. In the original language, it kind of gives this idea of being snagged by something. And I want you to uh, picture with me this morning uh, a bear trap. It's kind of this idea that he's setting with this word. He says, for those of you, uh, I want you to read this this way. If your kid was caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore your kid gently. If you walk up through the woods later today and your kid is caught in a bear trap, how are you going to respond to that child? Are you going to respond by scolding them? Are you going to say, you, you dummy, you should have seen that coming. I told you not to go over there. No, 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 you're not. If you are, you and I are going to have a conversation later, all right? If you walk up and you see your kid caught in a bear trap, there's going to be extreme shock. You're going to feel worried. You're going to wonder what happened to that leg, and you're going to approach the situation very differently. Well, this word restore here, actually, in the original language, means to set a bone. Like when you break a bone, it means to reset a bone or to put it back in place. And so you get this picture where he is saying, listen, if someone, if your kid is caught in sin, approach them as if they've just been caught in a bear trap. And the way you handle their failure really changes when you're trying to get them out of a bear trap. You see the danger that it is. You see the risk that it is. You also don't want them stuck there. You don't want them left with a bone. And it's our job as parents, and whether you're a grandparent, aunt, or uncle, if we have spiritual influence in somebody's life, it's our job to restore, to set that bone back right, to be the one to help them find their way back. But how often, when our kids sin, is that not our response? Mine are little, and they're cute, but they're still sinners. How often do we run to shame? Do we run to scolding? Do we run to berating? Do we run to name-calling? Because it's just natural, and I think it's also because we don't see sin as the danger and destruction that it really is for our kids. I think the other reason why we don't do this well is we haven't dealt with our own sin well. We're either living under the shame, and so we don't feel qualified to have these conversations. Maybe we don't know biblically what sin is and isn't, and so we have a hard time trying to help our kids walk through that. But here's the thing about sin in your kid's life. Their sin is actually the greatest starting point. We have this on the screen here. Their sin is a starting point for us to talk to them about Jesus. As your kids fail, and they will fail, as your future kids fail, that you're still perfect in your mind, one day you'll realize they're not. That moment right there, while it is not to be uh, natural consequences or not to be ignored, those are part of it, but that's not all that takes place there. According to Paul, what takes place there is that the spiritual bone gets reset. See, because sin breaks things. It breaks relationship. It it destroys God's good and right creation. And God has called us to set things right. Now, there's a couple ways you can do that. Um, There's some ways you can do that well, and there's some ways you can do that not so well. When I was about nine years old, I, I was diving for a baseball, and I broke my arm. I was confident I broke my arm. I rolled it, and my ear was right next to it. I heard the Rice Krispies going off in the bone. Like, I knew it. But my brother, who's seven years older than me, was convinced I was a wuss and said, you didn't break your arm. Get over here. So he sits me down on the couch, and he sets my arm as a 16-year-old doctor that he was and just pulls it because he thinks it's jammed, and, and he's like, oh, it's not there yet. He sets it three separate times in the living room 
And I'm like, try not to be tough, totally crying like a small child. Anyway, go to the hospital. They're like, who reset your bone? It snapped right in half. And I was like, see, I told you, right? See, see, so often we approach failures, we approach mess-ups in our kids with extreme responses. And what if we just stopped and said, okay, how are we supposed to respond to this? And here's the other thing that makes it really difficult. Our kids have an uncanny ability to trigger things in us. They have this way of pushing our buttons. They just know how to get us. But if you've ever observed other parents, you know that same exact behavior in a different parent may not trigger them. Right? You've watched that mom and their kid's doing that thing that drives you nuts when your kid is doing it. And that, the mom's just kind of laughing about it. Like, haha, that's kind of funny. Like, how does that happen? Well, they've done a ton of study on this, and I think scriptures would, would, would show us this as well. But, but here's a quote I want to share with you from a book I'm going to recommend later. Whenever we get triggered, we've stumbled on something that needs healing. Our kids are a gift from God to reveal shortcomings in our heart, to reveal unhealed areas, be that from your past, be that from your own patterns. God is using them to open up heart surgery on you and say, that trigger? Why did that trigger you? Lean into that. Deal with your kid's behavior, but then when you do, step back and say, okay, why did that bother me so much? And this is all part of pursuing Jesus. We don't have to have it all together. We don't. We just need to pursue the Lord. I've been noticing this thing in my heart lately um, as I've been watching my kids grow, and again, I know I'm still very early on in this, but I had incredible patience when my oldest, Jocko, was learning to walk, right? Like, he, he, God bless him, he got my head much larger than the rest of his body. And so as this poor kid's trying to walk, he was falling everywhere, everywhere. And I'm running, and I'm trying to catch him, doing everything I could to make sure his head doesn't meet the coffee table. Like, when he fell, I never once felt the need to scold him. I never once felt the need to tell him that he was never going to walk. I never once meant to, or needed to tell him about a failure. Instead, I encouraged him. I applauded him. I cheered him on. And then I noticed as he started running, I was doing the same thing. You know, he'll start running through the driveway and he'll just face plant. And I don't go over and say, you should have missed the rock. No, I I cheer for him. So he cheers for himself so he can avoid tears. And then I get him up and I say, hey, buddy, keep running. But can I tell you, when he's sitting in his high chair and he picks up his sippy cup and he gives me those eyes. They're his mother's eyes, by the way. And he looks at his little brother, and he looks at me, and I said, no. And he says, no. And just chucked. Like, all of a sudden, that grace and patience that was there for that little kid just is gone. Right? And, and glory be to God, he gave me a wife who's going to calm me down in those moments. But what's the separation? In one moment, I realize he's learning. He's growing. This is a natural part. And then in this other moment, I have this expectation that he already acts like an adult. No, no, no. I'm the adult. And God has called me to help him get there. It's my job to work in his failures, to work through his shortcomings. I've been going through this book called The Intentional Father. And one of the exercises in the book is you have to list things that are formative in your life. And as I started listing out these formative moments, I I started to realize that 90% of the moments that formed me were actually my failures. And more specifically, how godly men came alongside of me in those failures and began to walk me through them and and lead me to Jesus. Well, the second question in the book was, how do you 
plan to create those formative moments for your children. And I just began to realize that if I'm going to give my kids what they need, which is grace and mercy to fail well, I have to be okay with that. I have to be there to surround them. I have to be there to guard the coffee table when I can. And when I can't, I am to restore, which is the other part of this verse here. He says that we would restore gently. That when we reset the bone, we would do it with the gentleness in which Jesus has reset our failures. We would do it with the grace and mercy that our God the Father showed us by sending his son to pay the price that we owed. We've been called to express the gospel to our children in the way we love them. But, but how, do you, how do you do that? How do you know when to step in? How do you know when to catch? Well, that's our second point this morning. That the children need parents who are engaged in their lives. Our kids, your kids, need to know that you're present. Now, that will be different at every stage of your life, but we have to be aware. We have to be informed. We have to know what's going on in the hearts and minds of our kids because not only are they dealing with sin, they're dealing with incredible pressures. The pressures culture is throwing on our kids is at an incredible rate. It is unbelievable the things that they are dealing with. And so if you're teenagers in here, close your ears for a hot second. So I don't want you to give license to say this to your parents. It's different. It, it is just a different upbringing than you and I went through. The pressures they are facing with social media and internet, it doesn't mean you can't help them through it. It just means it really is a totally different territory. I want you to see how Paul says we are to handle this in verse 2. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If I could re rephrase that. Carry your children's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If any parent, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. I don't have time to touch that one, but parents, if we could stop comparing ourselves to others, the freedom we would find. Verse 5, for each one should carry their own load. I want to draw your attention to verse 2 and uh, verse 5. He uses these two kind of contrasting ideas, and he says uh, we are to carry each other's burdens, but then we are to... Um, uh, carry our own load. And I actually have this picture here that I want to show you because this is kind of what you see in the original language. I asked the Cadlesics for a picture of their van uh, that they were traveling in, and they were very willing to oblige. Uh, so the, the first picture here is this, that we're each to carry our own load. It, it connotates this uh, backpack idea. We all are supposed to carry our own backpack on the trip. And then when he says carry each other's burdens, it's this word that brings this idea of excess or overabundance or more than one person could carry. And if I were to kind of draw all that together, I think what you're seeing here is there's this call as we parent to give our children the appropriate amount of weight and responsibility. We can only do that if we're engaged and we know what's going on in their heart. Like this little kid probably has some gummy worms, a water bottle, and maybe a GI Joe, right? You're not going to give them the keys to the van and say, be an adult and grow up. But here's the thing. Our culture, the influences, are consistently trying to put weights on our children that were not meant for our children. They are trying to get them to be adults when they're 12 and 13, when they should be free to be uh, kids. I think practically there's a couple things we as parents have to be very on guard of as we do this. One of them is their time. Like we can't sign our kids up for everything. We can make them rich in experience but poor relationally by doing that. 
and the culture is pushing busy, busy, busy. And listen, be honest with yourselves. We don't operate well when we're that busy. Those little hearts don't either. Their brains are developing at a rate that if you make them so busy like that, they don't have time to process. And that's where a lot of the outrage ends up coming from is because they're just so conflicted in their heart with busyness. I think the other thing we have to be careful is their, their internet exposure. Like, we're not ready for what's coming at us on the internet. And their brains are hardwired to respond, not with logic. All of you with teenagers said amen, right? They're operating out of a different part of your brain, and we have to guard them from taking on the whole burden. That's ours to carry. That's ours to shield them from and give at an appropriate pace. The other one, and this one's free, so if you don't like it, you can kick me off the stage later. We have to be careful of, of introducing committed relationships to our children too early. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying when you're 14, it's hard enough to be 14. And culture's trying to push these committed, almost married relationships on our young, young teenagers. And again, we have a hard enough time doing those well as adults. So just, just, just throw that out there. If you don't like it, it's free advice. So you can get rid of it. Just, just be careful. We're to guard what is put on our children. Here's the thing about being engaged with our kids. You never have as much time as you think. Every parent here that kids have left the house will tell you this to be true. It goes so fast. Here's a sobering number for you this morning. From the time your kid is born, from the time they graduate high school, you only have 936 weeks with them. 936 weeks from the time they are born to the time they throw their cap in the air and take off. There's actually only about 350 uh, weeks from the time they hit first grade until the time they hit high school. And you know it changes once they hit high school. Everything just kind of changes when they become a teenager. That's 936 Saturdays where you have space that you get to create to engage with your children. That's 936 Sundays where your kids get to watch you model loving Jesus, being in community. That's 936 weeks where they get to watch you and hear what's important. And that's a terrifyingly short number. And so uh, for us, the challenge is that we would not be distracted by all of the things out there that our cell phones, our work, like I, I get it. There's really important things out there. But 936 weeks. I know there will come a day where my son doesn't run around the corner yelling dada and trying to jump in my lap. And I'm consistently trying to remind myself of that as I'm evaluating where my energy and focus goes. And dads, we tend to struggle with this a lot. Uh, everybody does, but dads tend to struggle with this because of the weight of work and some of the things that are on our mind. Maybe it's fear of failure. Uh, maybe you're just uh, nervous because you don't know how to engage their hearts. You, Listen, they, they don't need you to be an expert psychologist. They need you to be there. They need you to know. Uh, they need to know that you love them, and you, they need to know that you're there for them. Here's the third thing I want to share with us this morning. Children need parents who are real. There's this temptation in parenting to be the superhero. And uh, my wife was very sweet. She bought my kids these, these shirts that said, uh, my dad is my superhero. And little did she know I was about to talk about this this morning. That expectation is funny, and it's good, and it's cute, but it can be crippling. We, we don't need to be Jesus to our kids. We need to show them where to find Jesus. We, what, what they need to see is us admitting our failures. 
your failures are actually one of the greatest points of, of teaching and vulnerability and honesty with your kids that will help them grow and learn. And it doesn't mean you give license to sin, and it doesn't mean you say, well, I did this, so I have no right to tell you to, to not do this. This is where you say, hey, hey, can I tell you where dad screwed up? Can I tell you the choices I made? Can I tell you the pain that it led to? Can I tell you the people that I hurt because of that? Can I tell you the ramifications of that before you go down this road? Can you hear where I have failed? And then can you hear where Jesus met me? Can you, can you hear how Jesus changed my life? And that feels like it shows a chink in the armor, but it just shows your kids this model of pursuing Jesus in a way that it's okay. Listen to how Paul says this in verse 3. I want to reread this to you. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive, deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone. We're not called to compare ourselves. We're not called to look at other parents. We're not called to evaluate ourselves based on how a pastor raises his kid. Though those are good examples, and though maybe there's some great things to learn from there, the call on each one of us is that we would each look to Jesus. To Jesus, would you help me parent them? And the way that you have fathered me, would you give me the grace and strength to father and parent and mother these children? Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, Matt, I don't think there's any hope for my kids and I. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the things I've said. You're right, I don't. But Jesus does. And he still thought you were worth going to the cross dying for. He still thought you were worth forgiving. And can I tell you from a child, from a, a, a difficult upbringing with lots of brokenness, the power that I'm sorry has, even 20 years later, Dad, let's not, moms, all of us, let's not be prideful if there's an apology that needs to take place. Let's also not be filled with shame if there's an apology that needs to take place. Why? Because Jesus already covered it. And more than just covered it, he wants to restore your family. Well, what if they don't forgive me? That's not on you. That's between them and Jesus. What is on you is that you would walk in repentance and forgiveness. If you're here and you don't know Jesus and all this is kind of out there, I, I hope what you see through this conversation has been a model of what the Christian life looks like. We're not superior. We're not holier than thou. We don't have it all together, but together, we're going to run after Jesus. Together, we're going to hold each other to that, which, listen, can I tell you how important accountability is in your parenting? How humbling that is in your parenting, but how important that is? If you would ask other men in your life, you'd ask other women in your life, hey, do you see something in my parenting? Do you see in the way that, that doesn't line up with Scripture? Do you see some things I need to reorientate? And that we would walk in humility with that. So what, what do you do with a sermon like this? Well, I, I think you can take the three points, and you can choose to work on one of those. Maybe you yourself need to pursue a relationship with Jesus in a way that brings about life-giving change in your own life so you can lead your kids uh, to that. Maybe they need to see you model that. Uh, maybe for you, uh, it, it's working through being engaged. It's putting down some of the distractions and the things and your cell phone and whatever it is. It's carving out time to just sit and hear what's on the heart of your children, what's on their minds, that you could help them uh, carry the burdens and their hearts well. And maybe for you, it's time to put down the act and just be real with your kids about where you struggle and where you're working on things.
If you want some practical help, I have some book recommendations for you that uh, have just been so incredible, incredibly helpful to me. There's a million out there I could recommend. Here's a couple that I, uh, I would recommend for you this morning. The Intentional Father by John Tyson. Uh, one of the reasons I love this, uh, especially for dads, is it's so simple. Like, it's not ethereal, it's not conceptual, it's like, here's the seven things you need to work on this week, which I really, really appreciate the practicalness of that. I would recommend that book. Uh, Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids by Dr. Laura Markham. This book is really good at helping you kind of understand what's going on in your heart and how that's affecting your children. Um, I've had to read this book like four pages at a time because every time I read it, I'm like, nah. All right, Jesus, I got to go deal with this one now. So um, if you're ready to get sucker punched and be a better parent, I'd highly recommend that one. Uh, and then Five Love Languages of a Kid by Dr. Gary Chapman. This is a great book for help understanding what's going on in your kid's heart. Uh, and actually out at our kid's wing, we have a couple of those for sale uh, this morning if you'd like to grab them. Uh, the, the other thing, too, if you want to do something immediately is download the ParentQ app. There's some great resources in this app. They send out videos. They tell you this depressing fact of how many weeks you have left with your kids, which is a good reminder. Uh, but they also give you age-appropriate material to help you, including um, parents out of the house or kids out of the house, to help you engage with those. Here's the end of my plea to you this morning. I'm gonna plea to myself. If you find yourself stuck in parenting and you don't know what to do, just ask the simple question: How has God fathered me? He has met me with unconditional love. He has met me with unconditional grace, and he has consistently, gently reset the bone even when I didn't want him to? Would we be parents who model well the love that Jesus has shown us? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your gift of Jesus at the cross and how that really influences everything we do in life. We thank you for uh, the, the love and mercy that you have shown us. pray this morning for every parent in the room uh, as it can be in an overwhelming and difficult task. We just admit today that we need you. We need your help. We need your grace. We need your love. I want to pray specifically over our dads this morning. There is an assault on dads by the enemy. And I pray that today men of God would rise up. Men of God would stand in the gap for their families. They would be filled with the courage that you gave Joshua to take the promised land, that you have promised things for our family. You have promised your spirit to be there. You have promised restoration for those who walk in forgiveness, that we as fathers would stand in the gap for our families, for our children, for our wives today, God. We need you. We love you. We give you this day in Jesus' name.